0: I want to say to you this morning is when we talk about being tempted we're not just talking about hardcore transgressions you know sometimes people just think I oh, know I don't get tempted because I don't do bad stuff but I said I shared with you that to sin is to fall short to sin is to miss the mark to sin is like when you throw a dart and the dart doesn't even reach the board I mean if you know what I'm talking about so we can be tempted to settle When God is saying, I need you to advance. That's temptation. That's sin because you're falling short of the glory of God. You're falling short of God's plan for your life. Amen. We can be tempted to hold grudges. Ever wondered why people hold grudges? I mean, feel that sometimes we hold grudges as a form of revenge. So we say to ourselves... I've got this against you. So I'm one up on you. And I'm going to keep holding this thing against you because in two weeks' time, you might accuse me of something and I'll be left with no weapon. So my weapon against you right now is this thing I have against you. And that's the grudge. So temptation is not just to do with transgression. Do you remember the children of Israel when they went into the promised land? Do you remember it says that Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit? Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit. But the other Israelites, what happened with them? It says, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers in their eyes. Right? They were like giants to us. And they were fearful. How many of you know, how many of you understand that when God opens doors for you, very often There are doors within the door. And sometimes what takes place in our lives is that we go through a door, but we don't realize that there are other doors. How many of you have experienced that? We go through a door, but we don't realize that there are other doors. If you want to go to the theater, what happens? What happens when you go to the theater? You open a door, don't you? Thank you, Sipo. You open the door, don't you? But that door just takes you into the foyer. Some of you are just in the foyer of your life and your destiny. There are doors within doors. In order for you to get into the theater, what do you have to do? You have to go through other doors. Are you hearing me this morning? Sometimes we are tempted to remain in the foyer, yet God is saying, I want you to go through the other doors into the theater. You see, some of you, you're so grateful because you got your job. And you're like, Lord, I've got my job now. Oh, I've got my job. Praise God, I've got my job. But God wants you to be an executive in that organization. But you have settled because you've compared yourself to the people from your same cultural background. He said, at least I'm better than them. Are you hearing me this morning? God is wanting to do an amazing thing in our lives and we need His favor to get there and sometimes we are tempted to settle. How many of you know that man cannot demote that which God has promoted? Man cannot demote that which God has promoted. I can preach a message on land reform from a biblical perspective. People on social media can say, oh, hey, leave us South Africans to solve all our problems. Man cannot demote what God has promoted. Are you hearing me? When God's favor is in your life, you keep advancing. He establishes you. Prophet Samuel, the Bible says he was established as a prophet in the land. How does this link to temptation? Sometimes we are tempted to back down because of fear of man. Amen? Man cannot demote that which God has promoted. If God has promoted you, man cannot demote you. If God is in charge, I want to be on his side. If God is in charge, I want to be on his side. You see, sometimes what happens is people are tempted to to cheat. People are tempted to pay bribes. How can you, with a clear conscience, cheat or pay bribes and then still pray for blessing over what you're doing? You see, this revelation around overcoming temptation is really a revelation around running to God. Because God is looking and he's asking the question, who's Lord in your life? And the enemy's strategy against you and me is to pull us away from the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, we've taught a gospel of salvation instead of teaching a gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is our Savior. So he saves us, he heals us, he prospers us, he delivers us. But he's also our Lord. The Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So the question is the question of who's in charge of your life. Amen? And the enemy's strategy is to tempt us and to entice us so that we move away from the lordship of Jesus Christ. Are you following me this morning? You see, God is just looking today for people who will run to him as God. People who will go to him for guidance. People who will go to him for strength. Satan always wants to move us away from that. If you're addicted, you know why addiction is terrible? Because when you're addicted to something, it means that you are running to that thing as your God, as your idol, and you're not running to Jesus. Amen? And how many of you that addiction is not just what we call substance abuse? You can have what we call addictive relationships, where you can be addicted to certain people. People who you might think you actually love, but you're actually just addicted to them. You just need them. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Need-based relationships. Some people, when they speak in front of people, they speak to take. It's one thing to speak to take. It's another thing to speak to give. When you speak to people or do things for people in order to take from them, you'll be concerned when they don't praise you afterwards. Few people are getting that. What are you addicted to? When you're feeling sad and lonely, do you go to Jesus as your strong tower, as your fortress, as your rock? Or do you go to the bottle? Or do you go to the cigarette? Or do you go to certain people? This is my source and my sustainer. I'll have to get into that relationship because that's my survival strategy. Or do you run to God and strengthen yourself in the Lord? Temptation takes place when one is potentially drawn away and enticed by one's own evil desire. Remember we spoke last time about people who like to say, the devil made me do it. You know when people say that? What happened? The devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. The devil enticed you, the devil conned you, the devil sowed all sorts of thoughts into your mind, but he didn't make you do it, because you're in charge of your own will. Amen? You are in charge of your own will. Remember, every human being is a spirit. Your spirit man is the part of you that is God-conscious, the part of you that connects with God. It's where your intuition is. It's where your conscience is. And when you become a Christian, when you become born again, your spirit man is made alive to God. But as a human being, you also have a soul. And your soul is your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions, it's your intellect, it's your imagination. So sometimes when your will is broken, it means that there's something broken in the realm of your soul. And a lot of people who are domineering parents, people who have been abused, you see that they've got a crushed spirit, but they've also got a broken soul. And when your soul is broken, your will is not strong. And so you hear people saying, I just don't know what happened. You say, but why did you speak like that to that person? The words just came out what's happening? Their will is not strong enough to actually say, I choose to walk according to this path, and this is the path I'm going to walk. I was challenging some couples recently, and I was saying to them, guys, I don't understand. You guys are always quoting scripture. You're always making declarations and talking about prayer, but I keep hearing about the foul language you use when you're fighting with each other. How many of you know that when you use foul language, unclean spirits are attracted to that because demons can see. They see objects, people who, look, who do witchcraft and keep things in their houses. Demons are attracted to that. When you speak foul language, they say, oh, this is the language of our kingdom. For some of you, some of the things happening in your households are very spiritual. It's because of that activity where you say, but for two weeks, everything is fine and it's peaceful. And then at a certain point, we trigger each other and all sorts of language comes out when I hear of these things time and time again, I'm saying, what's going on? Very often it's because people's will is not strong. They haven't got a will that is aligned to the will of God. God doesn't want to break your will. He wants you to have a will that is aligned to his will. Are you hearing me this morning? When someone says, I couldn't help it. I just started seeing that porn on on, on my computer. And then it's like, oh, something just overcame me. Well, why doesn't that same thing overcome you and you go and steal from shops? Why doesn't that same thing overcome you and you go and murder people? It's because you, your conscience is seared in that particular area. When someone does something over and over and over again, at a certain point their conscience is seared. It's like someone who's hurt themselves with an iron. You know what happens? How many of you have been burnt w- before? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've been burnt with an iron. I've got a friend. I've got a guy who I coach. His one-year-old daughter went to the stove while the stove was still on. In fact, the oven right, and she touched it, and it was still hot, and they hadn't opened up to cool it down, and and she got burnt. She's fine now, but on her one hand, okay, She she got burnt there. What happens? She probably will lose a little bit of sensation, God forbid, but sometimes when that happens, people lose sensation there, because it's been seared, right? Where you've been burnt before, if I try and pinch it, you can't feel anything, can you? So some of you, in certain areas that were habits in your life, your conscience has been seared in that aspect of your life. So you don't feel anything anymore. It's like the guy who's the serial killer. You know what happens with serial killers, don't you? Where where you you look at the person's track record and you see that, wait a minute, this guy murdered one person a year. And then afterwards, it's one every six months. Then it's one every month. Then it's one per week. I don't know if you watch those types of movies. Those of you who watch those types of movies, okay? (laughs) Okay. Someone is nodding. Didn't think you were that type. Anyway, um, so, so then it's one per night. Their conscience is seared in that area of their life. So temptation takes place when one is potentially drawn away and enticed by one's own evil desire. All right? The Bible says it in a very powerful way. In James chapter 1, verse 13 to 15, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted... I'm tempted by God. So God isn't tempting you. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So what draws you away? Your own desires. Some desires that we have are good and are from the Lord. Other desires we have are Our own fleshly desires. That's why we need to monitor our desires. We need to do do an audit on what we desire. Amen? To see God is this desire based on selfish ambition. How many of you know there is a fine line between ambition and selfish ambition? There's nothing wrong with being ambitious. Being ambitious is basically the desire to do great things. The desire to achieve. The Bible in the book of James talks about selfish ambition when you want to achieve greatness, but it's self-centered. I don't know about you, but I want to achieve greatness, but I want to do it for the kingdom of God. Amen. I want to do it with a kingdom agenda. So it says here, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, so you can have a desire, but that desire will give birth to sin if you don't keep it in check. And for some of you, you've been watering your evil desires. You've been nurturing your evil desires. How many of you know that there's a reason why weeds grow in your garden? It's because they're, new, they're being fed by something. Amen? But there's certain things you can put, treatment. treatment, right, that will make your flowers grow that will make your crop grow, but will kill the weeds. And for, for, for a long time, many of us, we've had certain desires, and just because other people can't see them, we think, it's safe, because it's within me, it's safe. And then what happens is we're shocked by what you do, but not now, but in three years. Why? Because that desire has come to a place of conceiving. And very often the enemy's strategy is to wait until you're influencing lots of people. So that when you fall, many people fall with you. Amen? Many people fall with you. So we see something interesting as we look at scripture. Because it says, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death brings forth death. So some of you are looking and you're playing around with what the Bible calls the little foxes. And they're still little foxes because it's sin, but it's sin that hasn't fully grown. So it hasn't yet resulted in death. So it's very deceitful because right now you're playing around with the sin, but you're like, but it's not harming me because it's the little foxes. But the Bible says when it's fully grown, it will result in death, sometimes physical death, but certainly spiritual death. For desire to reach conception stage, it needs to be nurtured. Which desires are you nurturing right now? Often we nurture our desires visually. We nurture the desire by what we see. We nurture the desire by what we see, then we have a visual of that particular thing. Sometimes it's mental. Sometimes it's verbal. What are you saying? If in your household you keep saying, yeah, one day we will, we, uh, you know what, if my boss keeps treating me like this, I'm going to actually just settle things by stealing from the company. Ah, uh, One of these days I'll steal from the company. The Bible actually says your tongue is a rudder. What is the rudder? It shapes and sets the direction of your life. If in your marriage you keep saying, I think we should just split up. Uh, this thing is not working. I think we should just break up. I think we should just get a divorce. I think we should just... And you've, you've started to use that in your strategies when you're arguing with your spouse. Don't be surprised if that happens one day. Why? That's what you've been prophesying over your marriage. Are you hearing me this morning? You see, we nurture certain things and we water certain things in our lives by what we see visually by what we rehearse mentally in our thought lives, and by what we speak out. Watch out for that. What are you saying over your children? Hey, honey, I'm so scared. Hey, I'm just sick because she's now a teenager. What's going to happen when, oh, and you just speak out your fears instead of speaking out their destiny? How many of you know that you get what you appreciate? You get what you appreciate. If I keep speaking to the treasure in my wife, guess what's going to happen? She becomes that. She becomes that. People become how they are seen and viewed by authority figures that they respect and admire after five years. If you view your children in a certain way and keep speaking to the treasure in them, they become that. If you view your spouse in a particular way that is positive, that is God's heart toward him or her, they become that. They live up to how you see them. Amen? But if you're continuously criticizing the people around you, that's all you're going to notice. That's all that you're going to notice. There was some interesting research actually carried out concerning marriages that lasted, right? That lasted for a long time where people were happily Married, despite what they went through. And guess what was found? They did some research, and they saw that the common denominator amongst these couples was that they gave a higher score to their spouse than their spouse gave to themselves. Are you following? When they were assessing their spouse, for example, assessing them in terms of kindness, they would say, I'll give them an eight. But the spouse who was being assessed would give themselves a six. You know what that does when you view people in that way, when you view them greater than they view themselves? It's an upward spiral of love that begins to take place. An upward spiral of love. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because many of us are declaring the wrong stuff in our households, over our children, over our bosses, over each other. And we should stop doing that. Because after some time, we become what we say. You know that you become what you behold. You become what you say, you become what you see. What are you focused on? Next point I want to make is that temptation to sin never comes from God. In James 1 verse 13 we see that. God cannot be tempted to sin and God does not tempt us to sin. But when we are tempted, God can use that as a test. So the enemy can tempt us and whether we pass that trial or not, God can actually use that as a test. That takes us to our next level. Some of you are going through things in your life. See it as a test. See it as a test. A test that you don't have to keep repeating or redoing. D, temptation in and of itself is not sin. It's the yielding of our minds and our bodies to that temptation that becomes sin. It's when we yield our bodies and our minds to that temptation, that's when it becomes sin. Sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 11 to 14, it says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Have you noticed that sin instructs you? Very often temptation is an instruction, isn't it? Do this. Why not? Has God really said? Okay? And you feel the pressure says, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God. You see, there's always an alternative. Some people say, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do that. And I'm saying to them, but what do you do? What are you actively doing? Because if you're not actively pursuing the kingdom of God, you will always be pursuing something else. Amen? That's why Jesus says, you know what? Do good to those who persecute you. Pray for those who hurt you. Not just, ah, I, d- I didn't do anything to them. The Bible says, do good. Why? Because if you are passive, what happens? You'll end up doing something, but not the right thing. Can you see that? It says, do not present your members, in other words, your body, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. You know that old hymn, take my life and let it be? Remember that old hymn, right? Take my mouth. Take my hands, take my feet. That's the prayer of consecration. And here the scripture is saying, I must present myself to God as being alive from the dead and my bodily members as instruments of righteousness to God. When you next have a bath, when you next have a shower and you can see all your body parts, present them to the Lord, that they'll be used for his glory. And thank him for them, even those parts you don't like. Amen? Thank him for them. Thank him for them. Lord, I thank you for my eyes. These eyes you've given me to see. There's some people that are blind out there. Thank you that you've given me eyes to see. I make a covenant with my eyes that I'll only see what you want me to see. Amen? Lord, I thank you for my ears. I set boundaries and guardrails around my ears so that I will only hear what you would have me to hear. Some of the music nowadays... You know we need to be careful because we've got eye gates into our mind how do you flood your mind with stinking thinking there's the eye gate there's the ear gate amen what are you letting into your ears some people will say oh Paul you know what I remember one person said to me Paul you know the people in my team at work they're so negative and I have to have lunch with them and I said who says you have to have lunch with them who says you have to have lunch with the people in your team if they're so negative and it's affecting you if people come with negativity, you should be able to assert yourself and set boundaries because you are guarding your mind. Amen? I said to this individual, I said, you know what you must do? You must either change the direction of the conversation the people are having in your, in your uh, lunch, at lunch, or leave and have lunch with other people. Sometimes we've got this mindset that we just bound to people, we can't leave them, so we have to hear all their junk and they treat your mind Like it's a garbage bin. That's wrong. Amen. We need to set boundaries. It says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Eve was tempted by the devil in the Garden of Eden. We see that in Genesis 3, verse 1 to 8. And she ended up sinning. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, but he did not sin. So just because you're tempted doesn't mean you have to end up sinning. Amen? The Bible tells us, and I love this, in Hebrews 4 verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. What does the high priest do? He's a mediator, isn't he? And the Bible says that Jesus experienced temptation but he didn't yield to it so whenever you are tempted you are able to go to him and to actually say lord jesus i've got this desire and i'm struggling to get rid of it and i don't want it to be conceived and become sin right and he understands for some of you you struggle to articulate certain things to the lord and it's partly because you had fathers that were distant in your lives How many of you could go up to your dads as you were growing up and share with them some of your desires? Could be desire for someone of the opposite sex. How many of you could just say, oh, dad, I'm really struggling, you know, there's this guy, he's really cute, but I know it's wrong. Please help me. Please give me some input. How many of you could do that with your dads? All right. So those of you who said no, you probably find it quite difficult taking some of those things to the Lord. Unless you make a concerted effort to actually say, God wants to be close to me. I can share anything with the Lord. Amen. I sometimes will say to people, so just pray about it. He, that. (laughs) And they laugh and they giggle. But God wants us to be in touch with him concerning all these things. Amen. So what is the nature of temptation? What is the nature of temptation? You know, it's so important that we go through these things. This is foundational teaching. Amen. You know, in, um, we've got a book, rebuilt. We've got a book, Rebuild. And we're taking people right now through foundations. In the Cox um, small group, we're taking them through foundations. And there were some themes that we felt we need to do in a church setting. And I'm at, the more I'm getting into it, the more I'm realizing this is crucial. This is important. Because there are many people who call themselves Christians, but there were gaps in their discipleship. Amen. All right. So what's the nature of temptation? Well, firstly, temptation is common to all mankind and is therefore inevitable. So there's no one here who can say, I'm never tempted. I'm so spiritual, temptation. Ah, The devil doesn't even try to tempt me on some of those things. He knows he's got no chance. I'm too spiritual, pastor. None of you can say it, even the most holy looking of you. None of you can say that. Every single person in this room experiences some form of temptation. The thing we need to know is, what is it for me? Because we don't all struggle with the same stuff. So you might look down at someone and say, ah, yeah, yeah, ooh, ooh, how could they be even struggling with that? But I can tell you right now, if I ask you more than two questions deep, there's something you struggle with. Maybe they struggle with lust. Maybe you struggle with unforgiveness. Maybe they struggle with lying. Maybe you struggle with stealing. Ah, no, I don't steal. Maybe you're always stealing from your company and you're taking things from there that you shouldn't be taking because it's not yours. What they give you is your salary, but you've given yourself your own perks. I still remember speaking to a guy. He worked for a government department in a particular nation. Not, it wasn't South Africa. In a particular nation, and he said to me, "Ah, you know, uh, yeah, you know, pastor, what it's like working for government. They don't pay us that much, but there are other ways we can kind of like just balance the equation. You know, we can make overseas phone calls. We can we can we can. Who said you can?" So what is the nature of temptation? It's inevitable. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13, "No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man so no one here can say ah my situation is a special case i remember when we were doing the when you know we've been shooting thank you so much how many of you've been watching the show saving our marriage okay so we've been shooting it we've now done um episode 11 yesterday i did episode 11 we did that but um it's up to episode five. You can get, catch them on YouTube. You can also go to marriagecoach.co.za. We've c- created a website called marriagecoach.co.za and there are a lot of blogs, free resources, stuff I've done and so on. Please just tap into it, marriagecoach.co.za. But I remember uh, we we're on set and it's been so powerful because it's touching the lives even of the camera guys, you know? Afterwards, some of the guys are saying to me like, Paul, I think we, I need a private session with you. I said to the one guy, but, but this is like the session because, you know, the people on TV are just seeing the cut version. You're seeing everything and all the stuff we're talking about. Hey, Paul, mine is a special case. One of the guys said, I've got a young wife. I've got a special case. I don't know what you mean by a young wife. You know, there's a difference between a young wife and an old wife. I don't know. But the point I'm making is sometimes we think our case is a special case. But the Bible here is very clear. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such is common to man. But God is faithful, watch this, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. So when someone comes to me and says, The devil made me do it. And I look at scripture, it says, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. So you yielded to that thing. You can't just say the devil made me do it. Amen? Some people say, but I couldn't help it. This thing just comes over me and I can't help it. You can help it. You can help it. It's a powerful book uh, that I used to read years ago called Restoring the Christian Soul. Restoring the Christian Soul. And part of the process of restoring the Christian soul is restoring the will. The will to be able to say, I will run away from sin. I will not yield to this. Yes, everyone else is doing it, but not me. Guys, your story doesn't have to be my story. Amen. I went to a particular university in the 90s that was notorious for um, drinking. In fact, they actually had the world record in that city. If you look at Guinness Book of Records, the most amount of beer consumed per, per capita in a particular place. And so often I'll say to people, oh yeah, I went to such and such a university, they'll say, yeah, those guys really used to, ee, those guys used to, you know, and with some people, I say to them, yeah, you either had to be a radical Christian or radical in the world. If you're the kind of person who's lukewarm in between, you wouldn't really enjoy yourself. Amen. Praise God I was radical for Jesus. But here's the point. Here's the point. There is always a way of escape. It says, but with temptation... This is speaking about God. He will make you a way of escape so that you'll be able to bear it. So that you'll be able to bear it. The thing you're struggling with today, there's a way of escape. There's a way of escape. There's a way of escape. Some of you, your temptation is not obvious. Right now you're being tempted to have a bad attitude at work. You're a person of excellence, but you're like, "Ah, if my boss is late for work, so can I. That's temptation. Because you're lowering your standard because of someone else's weaknesses. Amen? For some of you who are in this nation, how many of you are foreigners here? Right? A number of hands have gone up. Right? Maybe a fifth of the people here. Right? Or quarter maybe today. Today it's a quarter. But I think overall in our church, maybe it's a, a fifth or so, or even less, a sixth. Do right? you know that one of, our, one of the temptations we face is the temptation to be offended with the government? How many of you have always had it easy with home affairs? How many of you sometimes go to home affairs and you actually start wondering, you know what, I'm pouring myself into this country, but it's so difficult to get this, it's so difficult to get that. Do these people actually want me here? How many of you know what I'm talking about. And it's so easy to get offended with a nation. There are many people in this nation who want you here. So just because of how some home affairs official treats you or treated you last year, don't be angry with the whole nation. Amen? That's temptation. That's temptation. B, no one apart from Christ has a perfect record in overcoming temptation. So there's no one who can say, I consistently, consistently, 100% track record. I've never yielded to temptation. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what's so sad for me? Is how defensive people can become when you call them out on a particular sin. Don't be defensive. We've all sinned and we all need a savior. And don't be judgmental. With the same measure of judgment that you give, you will be judged. I don't know about you, but I need God's grace in my life. I don't know about you. I know that there are demonic assignments against me. The devil doesn't like what I'm doing. So I'm not so foolish to think that, ah, you know what? The enemy won't try to entice me. The enemy won't try to harm me. I'm fully aware of it. But when you're fully aware of it, you then watch. You then pray. Lest you enti- enticed by the schemes of the enemy. But I'm shocked how many Christians, you call them out on something and they're so defensive. And you actually want to ask them. S- There's one person I actually said to quite recently, I said, Can you just tell me any of your weaknesses? I remember one guy I said to, him, Can you just share with me any of your weaknesses? And I was testing to see, Can this person actually articulate a weakness? One guy in one of my workshops, he actually says, Yeah, no, that's a difficult one for me. Uh, I, uh, that's a tricky one for me to say there's some people who are narcissists they've got narcissistic tendencies right if you don't know what that is you can google it right they've got narcissistic tendencies they've got narcissist personality disorder it's actually a mental disorder that they've got and they become angry when they're called out on a particular mistake that they've made and it's because deep inside their self-esteem is so weak so eroded that they can't just say, they're not secure enough to actually say, sorry guys, my bad. I'm not that perfect. Amen? I mean, if you know that when you get feedback from someone, there's stages of receiving that feedback. I call it daran. The D in daran is basically denial. Very often people are in denial. And I always say, denial doesn't belong here. It's a long river in Egypt. Okay. And then the A is anger. Some of you are familiar with grief counseling. You would have seen this in, in kubler um levels, right? In terms of how people deal with grief. It's the same for feedback. The first thing is denial. Then there's anger, where they're angry with you, the messenger, for telling them that, but sometimes they're angry with themselves. Oh, I've been found out. It's okay. R is they rationalize. Yes, I did this, but you can understand I'm a working mom. Yes, I did this, but guys, I know God understands. You know, my kids, my kids are different. They're really draining. Right? They rationalize it away. Hey, guys, God understands because the kind of boss I've got, oh, no one in the world has ever had a boss like this. He's a tyrant. Right? And then the next A in daran is actually agreement. They'll agree with you. They'll say, mm, yes, I, you're right. And they'll even cry. Mm, there'll be lots of tears some narcissists actually do that hey they come back you chase them out of it they come back like "Mm, i don't know i don't know what happened to me and so on a big show and they entice themselves back into your life happens go and study it It happens so agreement they'll say yes i did it yes i did and then you are flawed because you can't really say anything because this person is agreeing enthusiastically you know the only problem is there's no change of behavior the N in Dharan is new learnings, new beginnings, new outlook, new behavior. You see, what true learning is, learning is not just acquisition of knowledge. Learning is where you acquire the knowledge, but there's a resultant change of outlook, attitude, and behavior. So if someone says, says Paul, we learned a lot at your talk on overcoming temptation, the test of true learning is a new outlook a new attitude, a new behavior. That's when the feedback has really landed. And sometimes when you're talking to someone, you can actually say, I'm seeing you reacting. What stage are you at? And the people can actually say, to be honest with you, I think I'm in a bit of denial there. Oh, I'm seeing you reacting, and you're actually agreeing with me, but there's been no change in the last few weeks. What's going on? Oh, I think I'm in agreement with you, but to be honest with you, The feedback hasn't fully landed because I haven't changed my behavior. Amen? Be very careful when people keep saying, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. But nothing changes. It means there's no true repentance. Amen? The word repent in scripture is basically metanoia in the Greek. And it means to change your mind, to change your attitude, to change your outlook with a resultant U-turn. Amen? Resultant U-turn in what you are doing. So, we've all sinned. We've all messed up. See, Jesus understands and can identify with us in the area of temptation. In Hebrews 2, verse 17 to 18, it says, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Be honest about temptation. If you're to sin, let me ask you a question. If you're to sin, what is it likely to be? Just think about it. I remember one time in our varsity days, we were all talking and there were some girls there and so on, and they were, now, they were sussing each other out. there, saying, if you hadn't been a Christian, I think this is where you would have gone. And have you noticed, there's some people where it's like you can say, ah, if you weren't saved, you'll be a womanizer. We know that's your, that's your tendency. You, if you weren't saved, hey, you'll be this hectic uh, hustler uh, doing all sorts of dodgy stuff. And then you, if you weren't saved, <laughs> right? What is your thing where you really need God's grace to function in? For some of you, tempted in certain areas. Even when you're unsaved, you weren't tempted in those areas. It was never an issue for you. okay? In some countries, for example, the the culture is so strong in terms of efficiency. There was a guy in Germany, I remember a friend of mine was telling me a story saying, yeah, you know what, you know how the Germans, like they obey rules, right? You know, road rules and so on, and when there's, you know, it's like the robots are on, so pedestrian, now it's time for pedestrian, you don't just flow. Hey, let me do my thing, you know, like they do in this country, don't just do that, right? Remember one guy telling me the story of this guy. He looked quite rebellious. He had all sorts of tattoos, you know, that punk rocker look and so on. And so you'd think like, hey, I'm better than this guy. And then now this guy, I think he was from South Africa, this, this, this colleague I was speaking to, he's, he's like wanting to sort of like, you know, skip a robot, do what, you know, people sometimes do here when he was crossing the road. Then he's corrected by this punk looking guy. He's like, hey, we don't do that here and so on. What I'm saying to you is, Certain ethnic groups have got certain tendencies. Other ethnic groups have not. There are certain ethnic groups where, you know, they will drink responsibly. But some of you, you know what your people are like. You know in your community that if someone just touches alcohol, (laughs) families ruined in that community. Where you're trying to see, does anyone in that community even drink responsibly? And you struggle to name anyone. And it's time for people, we're talking about it with Stuart and Taffy the one time, It's time for people to rise up and to be honest and to actually say, guys, in my line, my family line, this thing doesn't work for us. Let's just quit. Are you hearing me? What doesn't work for you? It's like the guy who continues to, you know, he's got a a problem. He's addicted to alcohol, but he says, ah, pastor, please pray for me for a job. Where are you working? I'm working at that bar. Okay. D, for the believer, there's always a way of escape from temptation. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, we saw that. So what is the way of escape for you? Look for it. Jesus used the word when he was being tempted. Jesus said, do good to those who persecute you. That, these are active things we can do to get out of temptation, right? Some people will even have their pastors on speed dial. We do that. When people make themselves accountable to us, we say, just put me on speed dial. Whenever you are tempted to do this or to do that, just call me. Pastor, she's here again. Oh, pastor, I'm feeling weak. She's here again. We will come to you. We will come. We'll pull her away. We'll say, "Leave our brother alone." <laughs> Amen. Those are the type of relationships we should have in the body of Christ. Instead of this thing where people have got this perfect image. I'm me and my husband with this per- these perfect Christians. How my kids are perfect. No, Pastor is acting out again. And in the men in the church, we come. A number of us, all packed in one car, will get the biggest vehicle. All packed there. We come. What is he doing? He's, He's beating me up. We pull him away. We say, dude, this is our sister. Stop it. Amen? We need to be there for each other. We need to be there for each other. E, when we yield to temptation, it always leads to tragic, results. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way, I like it in the NIV, there's a way that appears to be right. So sin often appears to be right. It often appears smart and clever, right? But in the end, it leads to death. So my final stage is I want to share with you some tips in how we can overcome temptation. The first thing is this. We overcome temptation by first receiving God's salvation in Christ. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was made manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Christ came to set us free from the power of sin. You see, some people have been religious, but they haven't got the power of God within them to overcome sin. We need Jesus in our lives to overcome sin, right? One of the home groups that has been doing foundations, they've been looking at authority versus power. They've been looking at the authority of the believer. I want to explain to you, if you look in scripture, there's the word dunamis in the Greek, and it means power, isn't it? I'm going to feel that the devil is powerful. There are a lot of witch doctors that are powerful. But Jesus has given us authority. When you are born again, the Bible says you've been placed in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So you have authority. You might be a small person. You might be quite weak physically, right? But he's given you authority. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. If If you watch a match... Any sport, it could be soccer, it could be tennis, U.S. Open, whatever it is, right? And you're watching. Have you seen the power of the referee? The referee might be on a field with strong guys, Ronaldo, all those guys with all those muscles, right? And this referee is fatter than them, slower than them, older than them, physically weaker than them. But all he needs to do is just second yellow. And the guy goes... And refs are not allowed to touch. I mean, uh, players are not allowed to touch the ref. If you just touch the ref like that, you can be sent off. The referee has the authority of that soccer union, that football union, FIFA, right? They have the full authority and they can just say, no go. And it happens. And you can debate it. Once they've blown that whistle and said a particular thing, unless there's VAR, you know, very often there's no turning back. So people are disappointed. Yesterday, people were saying, ah, oh, but Son, you know, Tottenham fans, but Son, look, it looks like it was a penalty. Ref made that call. Wasn't a goal. <laughs> Liverpool fans were happy. Tottenham was like, ah, oh, come on, guys. Ah, Ref. Ah, Ref. That's what people are always saying when I'm watching my sons playing club soccer. Everyone's like, ah, Ref. Ah, Ref. And you know, they always say it like that. They have to say, ah, oh, beforehand. Ah, Ref. I was playing a game with my boys the other day. I was saying, like, guys, let's see who can say our ref the best. Our ref. ref. All right. But the point I'm making is that we, referees have authority. Jesus has given you authority. He says, all authority in earth and heaven has been given to you. Jesus was basically saying, guys, I'm in charge. Guys, I'm in charge. And as long as you are with me, you've got access. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If I go to these fancy clients of mine in these fancy buildings, if I try and get in by myself, what happens? If I try and get through security by myself and into the 10th floor, 11th floor, 12th floor, I've got no access. But if that executive that I'm coaching comes with me, and I follow him and I'm with him, I've got access to wherever I want to go. Why? Because I'm with him. Because of the association you have with Christ Jesus. The devil has no place in your life. But it's because of the association. Amen? It's because of the association that we have with Christ Jesus. How many of you get freebies at matches? How many of you get freebies at matches where you get like, you know, VIP treatment and so on at matches, extra tickets and so on because of the company you work for? Some of you. is there no one. I pray for favor. I pray for favor. <laughs> all right? So do you know what, do you know what will happen? If, if Kotso has favor to go to a particular r- rugby match and he's got all the stuff, he's got all the tickets. How many of you know that one of you can decide, ah, I also want to have a freebie. How many of you know that to go and sit in that box, you'll have to go with him. To get that private entrance into that place and avoid the long queues, you'll have to be in his car. If you try to go in your car, they'll bounce you. he said, say, I know, I know, it won't work. You have to be in his car. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to be in Christ Jesus to overcome the enemy. You can't just be this person saying, I'm religious, I'm trying hard to do good, I'm trying hard to stop swearing. No, you have to be in Christ Jesus. And you get access because of your association with Koso. Not because of yourself. You know what I'm talking about. Who are you associated with? I hope it's Jesus. So we have to receive salvation. B, we overcome temptation by recognizing that we are weak by nature and that we can indeed fall. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You know, they actually did a study some years ago of pastors who fell into adultery. And guess what they found? They found a common denominator. It was thousands of these pastors. And guess what they all had in common? None of them thought it could happen to them. When the research was carried out, one of the things they all had in common is they didn't think it could happen to them. So when your mindset is like, ah, me, I'm beyond this, that's when you'll fall. There's always pride before a fall. Me, never, it can't, okay? Now, when we overestimate our own power over temptation, we end up not guarding our lives in the way that we should. We overestimate our own strength when we do the following things. I want to give you examples of overestimating your own strength. When you live too close to the world and you function in the gray areas of life. When you live too close to the world and you function in the gray areas of life. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, abstain from all appearances of evil. Some translations say, avoid the appearance of evil. In other words, it's not about, oh, I didn't do that bad thing. It's, did you get yourself into a compromising situation? Why were you in that compromising situation? Oh, I was trying to avoid sleeping with her. But we were just relaxing on the bed, just chilling. You know, we weren't doing anything wrong, Pastor. We are just chilling. The bed then becomes the catalyst for the sin. Church has gone very quiet. I must be scratching where it's itching. Right? We overestimate our strength, number two, when we maintain close relationships with those who encourage us towards sinful behavior. Are you spending too much time with people you should only be spending a little time with? Are you spending a few hours with people you should only be spending a few minutes with? Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33, do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. Some translations say, bad company ruins good character. Who do you hang out with? Some of you are spending too much time with the wrong crowd and too little time with the right crowd. Amen? Another way we overestimate ourselves is when we do not structure our life with personal accountability to others. I want to encourage you, have people in your life that you are accountable to. Those of you who are married have other couples that you've already identified that when we're in trouble, this is who we talk to. Amen? Some of you have run into problems because you're isolated. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12, two are better than one. Don't isolate yourself. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one, to help them up. How many of you have got someone in your life where you can share with them virtually anything? You've got someone in your life where you can share with them virtually anything. How many of you? Okay, that's awesome. Stay like that. Stay like that. I was so impressed. I was dealing with a group of people in one of the banks this week. And I asked them that question. And so many hands went up. And I said to them, how many of you have got someone at work where you can share almost anything too? And a whole lot of hands went up. I said, you know that a lot of people stay on working where they're working because they've got a best friend there. They might not call the person a best friend, but if you look at the qualities of a best friend, tick, 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 they know your stuff. They know all your issues, right? And they know your issues real time. That other person who you call a best friend, they'll know a couple of months later when you meet the person because you're like, oh, I can't tell you this one over the phone. But the people at work, they know real time. I've had people say to me, Paul, if it wasn't for my team, if it wasn't for some of those people, oh. I don't know where I would be. You're at work eight to five. You're there eight and a half hours each day. If you've got no one you can share stuff with, there's a problem. And I know some people are too proud to talk about anything personal at work. Like, no, there's my home life at work. Ooh, Paul. And then we say, okay, who do you share with? Ah, but my husband won't understand the things. So who do you share with? Ah, hey, I just go to God. Human beings, God has created us for relationship, amen? It's created us it for his relationship, so we must be accountable. Number four, sometimes we overestimate ourselves when we walk instead of run away from potentially sinful situations. The Bible says in First Corinthians chapter 6, flee sexual immorality. It doesn't just say walk away from it. It doesn't say jog away from it. It says flee sexual immorality. In particular flee it run away flee from it run away all right you know what I've realized you have to embarrass sin before sin embarrasses you you have to embarrass sin before sin embarrasses you right there was a particular seductive woman went up to a particular man of God well-known man of God and she like was doing all sorts of stuff to him she came and sat next to him on a plane and so on and he says flee from me you whore of Babylon Okay, I might not do exactly that, but he, he made that point, and I heard of it years ago, and I could see the point he was making. He was speaking to the spirit behind the seduction, and he basically was saying, you have to embarrass sin before sin embarrasses you. You know what? Some of you are too nice with sin. Ladies, let me give you a few tips. I remember some time back, some ladies said to me, Possible, you need to write a book on how to block guys in a spiritual and godly way. You need to do a talk on that, they said to me. Why? Because what happens very often is you, you're afraid of doing it because you kind of feel like they might think that I'm being presumptuous. They might think I'm it. I think I'm it. Not so. But sometimes you have to be firm so that they get the message. Instead of like, ah, not today. Maybe some other time. Ah, no. Ah. And you know what guys are like. Especially guys who've got, who, who, who are bound by a spirit of lust. You know what happens with them. Sometimes even if you say to them, no. They interpret it as yes. She's just playing hard to get. And then they keep pursuing you. So you've got to find a way of making the message really, really clear. And even if they think you're arrogant, rather be misunderstood by them as being an arrogant person than end up in a situation that trips you up. Flee. Amen? Flee. 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 Sometimes... We overestimate ourselves when we believe that we can keep the devil contained to our thought life. I know I'm just thinking about those bad things, but I never do them, Pastor. Well, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 4, verse 23, Above all else, say to the person next to you, above all else. Guard your heart, for from it flows the issues of life. Some translations say, guard your heart, for it affects everything. It affects everything that you do. We must guard our hearts. The sixth reason why we sometimes overestimate ourselves, examples of overestimating ourselves, is not maintaining, when you do not maintain the disciplines of prayer and personal Bible reading. Those pastors that fell into sin, a lot of them were not having their personal devotions. A lot of them were not in prayer. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be in prayer. Jesus says, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. In Luke chapter 22, verse 40. In Matthew 26 verse 41, he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. It's not enough to just pray. We need to watch and pray. Then he goes on to say, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you sometimes feel like your flesh is weak? Okay. See, we overcome temptation by putting on the whole armor of God. Do you all know the armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6? The helmet of salvation, knowing that you are saved, not letting the devil play mind games with you. The breastplate of righteousness, I've become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That word must be in us. Amen? The belt of truth. Therefore, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The truth you don't know doesn't make you free. Right? The shoes of readiness to preach the gospel, the gospel of of peace. Right? Right? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's the armor of God. That's the armor of God. And we need it to overcome sin. D, we overcome, we overcome temptation by being rooted in the word of God. I love Psalm 119 verse 11. It says, I've hidden your word in my heart inside of me that I may not sin against you. Ladies and gentlemen, the word of God needs to be hidden in our hearts. It's not enough to just know the word in your head. We have to know the word deep in our hearts. We have to meditate on the word of God. Where you utter and you mutter the word of God. E. We overcome temptation by understanding the enemy's methods and not being ignorant of his tactics. In the Bible, we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter two, verse eleven. It says, "Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices." That word device is the same word as his schemes, okay? His clever tricks. What is the enemy's clever trick against you? In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If we overcome temptation by having a strategy to do so. What strategy are you going to use? In James 4, verse 7 to 8, it says, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What's your strategy against sin? What do you do to stop yourself? What are the guardrails you're placing, you're s- placing around yourself? G, we overcome temptation by bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 6. I love this. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What is that argument, that reasoning, that high thing? That is exalted above the knowledge of God in your life right now. Are you willing to cast it down? Are you willing to cast it down? H, we overcome temptation by cultivating our love relationship with the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, it says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. You know what I find interesting about this passage? It doesn't just say, let us lay aside sin. It says, let us lay aside every weight. That's the word oncon, and it speaks of a load or a burden, an encumbrance, anything that is hindering us. It might not be sin, but it's something that is slowing you down. What is that thing that is slowing you down in your walk with the Lord? What is that weight that you need to get rid of? All right, let's do it and we'll be able to overcome temptation. I'm going to ask everyone to just close their eyes and I want, to, I want to ask you some questions to help you to reflect on this. It's important that we come to a place in our walk with the Lord where we develop a strategy against sin and against temptation. As I've been speaking to you, I want you to answer these questions for yourself. What is the nature of the temptation? The thing that usually trips me up. What's its nature? Is it unforgiveness? Is it offense? Is it greed? Is it rebellion? Is it lust? Is it addiction? Where are you usually tempted to commit the sin? As I counsel lots of people, one of the patterns I've realized... If someone gets tripped up in the same thing over and over again, and very often there's a common denominator. You find that that person says, oh, it it happens when I'm with so-and-so. Oh, it's whenever I'm with that person or that crowd. Person can be wonderful, but whenever I'm with that person, that's when I'm tripped up. Whenever I'm in that context, that's when I'm tripped up. Is there a certain time of day or time of the week Or certain situations that you're more likely to sin. Oh, it's when I'm tired. Oh, the enemy tries to trip me up. when I'm just in that space where I don't have money and I'm feeling insecure. Come on, you know yourself. You know yourself. Oh, it's whenever I just arrive at home. I arrive home and I'm irritated because the kids leave things lying around and I like everything to be neat and tidy. Oh, it's whenever I'm about to go to church. That's when we argue. When is it? When is it? Who are you usually with when you're tempted? Why are you tempted in certain areas? For some of you, maybe it's deliverance that you need. Maybe it's a weakness that runs in your family line, and it's up to you to say, from now onwards this thing must stop. I'm drawing a line in the Spirit. I'm drawing a line in the sand. Just because it happened to my father and my father's father doesn't mean it's going to happen to me. What steps are you going to take in your daily life to avoid the tempting situations? How will you resist when you're tempted? You see, one of the keys to overcoming temptation is having a standard and having a game plan before the thing happens.